Good morning, Bethesda. Put your seatbelts on, and you may even need a crash helmet today. I know we've prayed, but let's pray one more time. Heavenly Father, what a great, mighty, and awesome God you are. We stand before you this morning, and we declare that you are the God who sees us. You're the God who hears us. And you're the God who has connected and shown great affection toward us. We bow our knees and we surrender our lives to your great love and grace this morning. And we ask you, my Father, that the power and presence of your Holy Spirit invade this place today, that chains would be broken, that bodies would be healed, and that our lives would be transformed for the glory and the honor of Jesus' name. Amen. At my house in Fort Smith, Arkansas, they're building a brand new home right in front of us. And I got to watch this process up close and personal. The first thing they did in order to prepare to build this house is that they had to clear the ground. Then someone had to come in and they had to lay the foundation. But then after the ground had been cleared and the foundation had been laid, then the framers come in. The framers are those individuals who come in and they look at the architectural specifications and they begin to frame up the basic structure of the house. Now, as I'm watching this framing process take place, I was reminded of a passage of Scripture in the book of Hebrews where it talks about God framing. God frames the worlds by a word. God frames our lives by his plan and his sovereign will for our lives. And as I'm thinking about that scripture, and as I'm looking at this process of framing take place, this thought occurs to me. What would happen if there was a foundation laid for a 10,000 square foot home or building, and someone came in and they looked at their finances, they looked at their personal abilities, they looked at what they had access to, and they decided that all they could afford to build was a 100-square-foot shack. And as I had that thought, it occurred to me, isn't that what most of us do? There's this fantastic foundation that's laid in our lives through the Word, through the prophets, through the apostles, through the empowering presence and work of God's Spirit in our lives. And yet when it comes to us building or framing our lives, we do that according to our bank account, according to our own natural abilities and talents. And if you're like me, that isn't much. And so we end up underbuilding because we build according to our own imagination and our own abilities. I believe that one of the things that the Spirit of God is challenging us to do as individuals as well as a corporate body is to stop building according to our abilities and to begin to build according to His greatness and His plans and His power and His authority. Because we're not building just for ourselves. We're building for generations to come. We're building for the honor and the glory of the name of Jesus. So in the same concept of framing things up, another thought occurred to me. How do I frame my life? Because see, I think God wants us to frame our lives with praise. Because praise is unique in that praise isn't about me. Praise is about him. I don't praise myself. I don't praise other institutions or things like that. When praise comes forth, praise must have God as its object. Now, we can encourage each other, but ultimate praise can only go to the Lord Jesus himself. 
In Hebrew, which the Old Testament is written in Hebrew, there are five popular words for praise. One word is hallel. We translate it hallelujah and we say it all the time. Another word is baruch and it means blessing. Another word is tahila, and it's associated with a spontaneous response when something good has happened in your life. Then there's renan. Renan is just a joyous expression of life and of gratefulness to God. But then this fifth word, the word that I want us to focus on this morning is Judah, and we would say Judah. Because Judah, unlike these other words, Judah's different. Judah's not a spontaneous response for something good that has happened in your life. Judah is a response according to the greatness of God. That means your circumstance and your situation can be a mess, but you can look past all of this and look up and go, God is great and greatly to be praised. Because you see, his greatness does not depend on my circumstances and situations, nor your crisis for the moment. Judah praise is dependent on the greatness of God. It is a declaration, almost a prayer or a confession of God's greatness in the midst of your crisis or your circumstance or situation. Judah, declaring, confessing the attributes of God, declaring the greatness of who God is, more than 50% of all the times that this word is translated thanks or praise in the Old Testament crisis is the context. These people aren't declaring the greatness of God with a million dollars in their checking account and a clean bill of health. They're praising God with armies bigger than they are, stronger than they are, more powerful than they are, looming over them. When people, Judah, when they praise God and begin to declare his glory and his greatness, things begin to happen. Let me give you some illustrations of some people in Scripture who demonstrate this kind of praise. There's Hannah. Hannah has just delivered her son Samuel to the priest, and now she's walking away, and now she doesn't have a child. She has taken what God has given to her, and she has been obedient. Do you know that obedience can hurt sometimes? And now she's walking away, and she's resisting and fighting every maternal instinct within her. What does she do? She begins to lift up her voice in 1 Samuel and praise the Lord. Great is the Lord. He is mighty, and he is my redeemer, and he will restore, and he will give to me those things which I have need of. She begins to declare the greatness of God. She's not the only one. There's David. David has had to pretend to be a madman in order to escape the Philistines. So here's mighty David with spittle dripping down his beard, pretending to be a madman so that he can get out of this Philistine garrison. His next stop is a cave called Adullam, which means place of no foreseeable future. And then all these indebted, disgruntled people surround themselves around him in this place of no foreseeable future. In that situation, David writes Psalm 34, and it goes like this. I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. In a very difficult situation, David's not thanking God for the situation, but he is extolling the greatness and the majestic essence of who God is in the midst of that crisis and in the midst of that situation. What about Job? He loses everything. And what does he do? The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. 
Honey, the Lord's name is blessed and to be honored and respected, whether you have a full account or an empty one, whether you're in health or whether you're in sickness, because he is always great and he is always a mighty God. And he is always worthy of your praise. Hannah, David, Job. What about Azariah, Mezariah, and Mishael? You probably know them as Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. These boys are about to be thrown into a fiery furnace because they would not bow their knees to Nebuchadnezzar. And what do they say? They don't know the outcome yet. They don't know that God's going to be the fourth man in the furnace with them. They don't know that. Here's what they say. My God is able to deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are still not bowing our knees to you, Nebuchadnezzar. That's what praise does. Praise says, I don't know what the outcome is, but it doesn't matter because God's worth is not dependent on my outcome. God's worth is dependent on his holiness, and that's unchanging. It's dependent on his power, and that's not up for debate. Because he is a great God, whether he comes through in that moment or not. What about Daniel? He's in the lion's den. And what does he do? He doesn't sit there and magnify the bigness of the lions and the ferociousness of the lions. He doesn't write, and they were terribly hungry looking lions. No, in the lion's den, he declares the greatness of God with those lions looking at him face to face. What about Habakkuk? Habakkuk's in for a rough ride. If you read those four chapters, things are not going to go well. But after God tells him all the things that are going to happen, all the disappointments, all the dilemmas, and all the crises that are going to come to Judah, here's what he says. Though the fig tree fail to blossom, and though there be no fruit on the vine, yet will I praise you. Do you know that praise has nothing to do with how you feel? Praise has nothing to do with what you get. Praise has nothing to do with your circumstances and your situations. Praise has everything to do with his unchangeable, unalterable goodness and greatness. I have a principle that I call first use. If you want to know, in Hebrew context, what that word means and the implications that it's going to have throughout the rest of Scripture, go and find its first use. Well, the first place that Judah is used is in Genesis chapter 29, verses 31 through 35. You know the story. Two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Leah is not attractive. Leah is not what people would want. She's not going to be America's next top model, and she's probably not even going to be an anchor woman for any of the local television networks. Rachel, her sister, on the other hand, is stunningly beautiful. So beautiful that Jacob sees her from afar and loves her and wants her badly enough to work seven years and then an additional seven years. Now Laban, Leah's dad, decides that if he ever is going to get this girl married, right now she's a liability to him. If he's ever going to get her married and get her out of his way, he's going to have to trick Jacob, and that's just what he does. Jacob spends the night with her thinking that it's Rachel, gets up in the morning, and it's Leah. Can you imagine how Leah felt? Her dad basically abandoned her. This man that she obviously has great affection and love for doesn't want her, and her sister hates her. Here is a woman who is being denied the three basic needs of every human being. Do you know every person that breathes in and breathes out, we need for someone to see us. We need for someone to hear us. And we need for someone to connect to us. 
Listen to the names of her children. She gets pregnant and she names her first son Reuben. Reuben in Hebrew means now he will see me. Can you almost hear her say, now Jacob will see past the unattractive features. Now he'll see past the clunky body. Now he'll see past the physical attributes that are not so pleasing. And he'll see that inside of me there's a faithful, loyal person who wants to love him and be a good wife for him. Now he will see me because I've given him a son. Obviously that didn't work. She gets pregnant a second time and she names this son Shimeon. And Shimeon means now he will hear me. And again, can you hear the desperation in her voice? Can you hear the desperation in the name? Okay, it doesn't matter if he sees me, if he'll just hear me, if he'll hear that I'm a woman that has dreams, that I'm someone who has vision, and I've got input, I've got something to say about different things, if he will just hear me. But that didn't work either. So she gets pregnant a third time, and she names this son Levi, which means now he will attach. Now he will connect to me because I've given him three sons. Now I'll feel that closeness to him that I long for. I think in this cry of Leah is the cry of every human heart. I want someone to see me, to really see me, someone to hear me, really hear me, and someone to connect to me. Beyond just the surface, how's the weather, and what's going on with your job. Someone who can really know me. And she's not getting that from Jacob. She's not getting it from Laban. And she's certainly not getting it from her sister Rachel. She gets pregnant a fourth time and this time something happens. Something breaks through in Leah's life. And she says to herself, I'm not going to look to Jacob any longer to see me, hear me, connect with me. I'm not going to look to my dad any longer to see me, to hear me, to connect with me. I'm not going to look to my sister any longer for that. God be praised. This woman is transcending her circumstances and her situations. And instead of looking around, she's looking up. Some of you have compromised your very life to be seen, to be heard, and to feel connected. And you feel more hidden, more silent, and more alone than ever before. Can I tell you that until you connect to Jesus Christ, you will not be seen, you will not be heard, and you will not feel the love that every human being desperately needs. Stop looking around and start looking up. To God be praised. I would love to say... To every young person here, don't look to your peers for these things. They do not have it to give to you. Look to Jesus. I would like to say to every married couple here, stop trying to get from your husband or your wife what they do not have to give you. Start looking up to Jesus. I would like to say to every parent and every grandparent, do not let your children determine how you feel today. Look up and let Jesus be praised in your life. It's time for us to stop looking around. I love this country. I'm an American through and through, but this country does not identify me. Jesus does. And I will also say, while I have my preferences about who sits in the, in the Oval Office, whoever sits in the Oval Office pales in comparison to who sits on the throne of your heart. Because I tell you, Church, if we will let Jesus be the Lord of our lives, really be the Lord of our lives, he will turn this nation around, regardless of who's in the White House. 
And it's time for us to start, stop looking around here and start looking up and declaring, to God be praised. In Judges chapter 20, verse 8, Israel's faced with a hostile environment. Enemies who want to take them down. Enemies who do not want to move out of the territory that God has given to them. What does God tell them to do? Send Judah in first. He doesn't say, send the archers, send the soldiers in, send the praisers in first. Can I tell you that in Hebrew, Judah not only means a strong declaration of praise, Judah also means to shoot an arrow. There is a military element to praise. And I think sometimes the reason we're losing so many battles is that we're trying to fight according to our own skills and abilities when what we need to do is stand back and begin to praise the Lord. God be praised. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21, again, they're faced with an enemy. That enemy is stronger, bigger, better armed, and better trained. But what does Jehoshaphat do? He says, God has said, send the praisers out first. Church, it's time for us to once again become that army of praisers. Those men and women who will declare the greatness of God in adverse circumstances and situations. I think, for me, one of the most incredible New Testament expressions of this idea played out is in Acts chapter 16. Think about this. Here are Paul and Silas. They've asked the Lord, where do you want us to go? They've tried three different directions, and God has said no to all of them. And in a dream, God speaks to Paul, and there's a jailer saying, come over here, come over here. And it's Macedonia. So Paul and Silas, at the command of the Lord, go into Macedonia. When they get there, they cast a demon out of a young woman, and now the people who were profiting off of that are no longer going to profit, so they create a stir over Paul and Silas. Do you know that when you begin to do what God has asked you to do, it's going to create a stir? Do you know that when you begin to call things what they are and no longer tolerate them, that it's going to create a stir in your world? Paul and Silas are arrested. They're not only arrested, but they are beaten with wooden rods, and they are beaten severely. This means that whoever was doing the beating did not stop until these men were bloody. And in this bloody condition, they're told, put them, the jailer's told, put them in prison and do not let them escape. Now, the jailer did make two mistakes. He put them in the inner cell. I guess that's okay. That way they really can't get out. He put them in the cell together. Seriously. And the second thing he did is he left their mouth free so that they could declare the greatness of God. So what are Paul and Silas doing? They're not sitting there, but God said. If God really said, would we be in this mess? Yes, you would. Do you know that sometimes the plan and will of God for your life is not easy? And sometimes the plan and will of God for your life will take you down a path that is uncomfortable and oftentimes unpleasant. So here are Paul and Silas. They're not lamenting their situation. They're not comparing the wounds on each other's backs. What do these guys do? It's midnight. They're up at midnight because they're in too much pain to sleep. Their feet are shackled and the prison door is locked shut. What do these men do? At midnight, they begin to praise the Lord. 
Notice too that that passage says, and when they begin to praise the Lord, the other prisoners listen to them. When you are in your circumstance and situation that is unpleasant, painful, uncomfortable, other people are listening to you. They're watching you. People who need to be free as much as you do and maybe free from things that are beyond what you need to be free from. People are watching us in the midst of our affliction. And how we respond is a true demonstration of what's in us. At the midnight hour, Paul and Silas begin to sing praises to God. Now, I like to imagine that Paul and Silas pulled from their hymnal, which would be the book of Psalms. I think they may have sang, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Maybe they pulled from Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. Maybe they pulled from Psalm 40, Who is like our God, who measures out the waters in the hollow of his hand, who measures the spans of space by the span of his hand? Who is like our God? They sang praises and declared the greatness of God in the midst of a very difficult situation. I wonder what, if Vic and Des were in that prison together, what would they sing? I think they would sing something like, Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord my God. I think Vic would have to jump in and sing, There is power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. Maybe your song is, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you're Pastor Dan, maybe you would sing, Mighty is our God, mighty is our King, mighty is our Lord. He's the ruler of everything. Maybe if it were me and Tina Cooper, they would never put me and Tina in prison together. <laughs> I think we would sing something like this. There is power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. I think we might sing, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, oh, my soul, and worship his holy name. He is rich in love, slow to anger. For all your goodness, I will keep on singing 10,000 reasons for my heart to find. Whatever your song is, whatever your praise is, declaring the greatness of God, when you do that in the midst of this kind of context, this kind of circumstance, this kind of situation is going to shake the foundation. Now, some of you, your foundation's shaking, and you think that you're falling apart, but can I tell you, your foundation's shaking because the chains are coming off? Your life may be rumbling and trembling and swaying back and forth. Take a deep breath and keep praising the Lord because the chains are coming off. The foundation was shaken by an earthquake. Their prison door was open and their chains were undone. They were the only two praising. But did you notice that when God came through for them, he loosed everybody's chains. Baby, it's not just about your chains. It's about the chains of the person sitting next to you. It's about the chains of your children, the chains of the person that you're married to, the chains on your family, the chains on your fellowship. When you begin to praise God, it's not just your chains that come off. Their prison door was open, but it wasn't just their door that was open. Every prison door was open. I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of seeing people in the enemy's camp in prison chained up. 
And if I've got to stand in the midst of the fire and declare the greatness of God, then let's do it. Because great is the Lord. We're all faced with things that are beyond our ability to fix. It's beyond our ability to overcome. So stop framing your freedom based on your ability to get free. Get your eyes or your focus off of yourself and to begin to declare the greatness of Jesus. Because you see, when you declare the greatness of Jesus in difficult situations, it'll open your prison door, it'll break your chains, but it also has the potential, the ability to break the chains of everyone around you. So what kind of prison or chains are you up against today? Maybe it's finances, maybe it's relational, maybe it's addictions, emotional, physical, you know what your chains are. You do not have to praise God for your afflictions. But when you praise him in the midst of your affliction, declaring his greatness, he'll begin the process of breaking chains that are holding you back. When we praise God, it enlarges our boundaries and increases our frame to be more fitting and in line with what he's destined for our lives. When we begin to praise God in the midst of our circumstances and situations, we magnify the Lord and minimize the stuff. When we begin to declare the greatness of God, we begin to confuse the enemy that would assault and attack our souls. I'm going to ask Brent if he would come and lead us in a song of praise. And I want to ask you as we end this morning, would you begin to praise God? I'm not saying praise him for your circumstances and situations, but I am saying praise him in the midst of it. Praise him and declare his greatness, regardless of what you're going through. I even want to ask you, come to these altars. If you know that there are things in your life that need to be broken off, you come forward into these altars and you begin to praise God and let him do for you what we cannot do for ourselves. Let him break those chains. In the name of Jesus. Lord Jesus, we've already declared it. Great is the Lord, greatly to be praised. You've been given a name that is above every name. And at the declaration of your name, Jesus, our knees bow and our tongues begin to declare for the greatness of God the Father that Jesus Christ, you are Lord. We are asking you this morning, Lord God, because you say that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. That as we begin to open our mouths and declare your praise, you would set us free this morning in Jesus name Jesus name bless the Lord